Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 172, BGA's Big Summer Preview. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us support the show. You rock! You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, it is coming close to convention season. It is right around the corner. Origins is about to hit. All of the Kickstarters are hitting all over the place, kind of like prepping us for the summertime madness. And I'm really getting uh, excited about it. How about you? Yeah, yeah. I feel like two days ago, it finally settled in. It's a thing, like, when you're a parent, you're like, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this. And suddenly you're like, wait, in two weeks, I'm going to be out of town. (laughs) And then I don't got to do this and this and this. And I get to play board games. So, (laughs) yeah, it it finally kicked in this week, and I'm pretty excited. So, Origins, that's that's all I'm thinking about for, like, the next ten days, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I, I just flipped my calendar over to the next month. So I'm like, oh, yeah, June, that's a thing. Oh, we got to put this Origins thing that's coming in, all that kind of fun stuff. It's getting up there. It's kind of weird that the summertime season is board gaming season. But I guess that's a thing for us. Yeah, it is funny. It's, I guess it's, you know, we have all the conventions are during travel season, which makes sense. But sure, I would think we'd all play more games during the winter. <laughs> but then i don't so there you go <laughs> there you go all right well nonetheless we have some great upcoming information about our summer preview so we're going to touch upon origins and gen con and obviously all the great games that's going to be coming up this coming summer we'll have full reports from the conventions the later conventions later in the year we'll have some more information about those so we are keeping you up to date So if this is your first time listening to Board Gamers Anonymous, we cover basically everything tabletop gaming and sometimes, especially if it's board game related, stuff that comes to the tablet. All right, Anthony, we got so much to talk about this episode. Let's get on to it. There's a lot of fun stuff happening this coming Origins. Why don't you tell us about some of the things that BGA is doing? I want to let you guys know about a contest. If you have not listened to the last couple of episodes, there is an opportunity right now to win games which is what we're, it's what we're all about. We want to give away games. That's our favorite part about the Patreon is you guys help back us. We have more resources to give away more stuff. So, and, and this particular contest is their World Cup Science Fiction Board Game Contest. Our next episode, so next week, we're going to be doing our World Cup Tournament Bracket for Sci-Fi Games. It's a little early. The World Cup is coming in later in July. But we're going to have this episode for you a little bit early. And it's going to run through 32 science fiction board games that... We've pulled from the top lists on BGG and in eight different pools. And to recognize that, we have a contest running on the website right now. It's been up for the last week or so. You have now until June 9th, June 10th, right before the next episode goes up to enter that contest. And to do so, all you have to do is go to the website, find the link. It'll be in the show notes for this episode. And then for each of the eight pools, pick two games and then pick the one game you think is going to win all of it. You're going to get points based on correct picks. So you get two points for every pool pick you get right. Five points if you get the overall game right. The guy or gal who gets the most points 
for their picks. I think the total possible is 37 is going to win a science fiction board game of their choice from a list of about 25 that we've uh, we've put up on the site as well. So make sure you sign up and do that. It takes like five minutes to do and it's a good chance to win a free game. And if you like science fiction, all the better. And we'll be running that for the next week or so. So do not miss out. Yeah, so Origins, again, is just a couple of weeks away. Uh, from when we're recording this, I think we have two weeks, slightly less than two weeks, maybe 13 days, until uh, the Origins starts. And so the Thursday of Origins, which is the 14th, we're going to be doing a dinner meetup. You should check Facebook. We're going to have an event up on the Facebook page that you can sign up for. And we are going to meet up after the convention hall closes on thursday we're gonna grab some dinner and hopefully get to meet a few listeners have some fun play some games whatever it is just you know that kind of decompression after the con so if you are in columbus if you're at origins if you are free thursday evening please please come out we'd love to meet you and just hang out and grab some food and you know just talk some games answer any questions you guys might have, and just hang out. It'll be a lot of fun. That sounds great. All right, Anthony, let's get on to what our listeners are talking about. What's our question of the week? All right, so because we are reviewers and because people ask us this question all the time, I figured I'd throw it back at people, and I asked, how many plays do you give a game before making up your mind about it? I feel like I hear this from people all the time, whether online, in our reviews, on iTunes or whatever, or just from people I hang out with who know that we run a podcast and a website. They're, they're always asking like, oh, how many times do you play these games before you do these reviews? And for us, the answer, for at least for me, is always like, it depends on the game. But I thought it would be interesting to ask people, how often do you play a game before you decide whether you're A, going to buy it if you don't own it already, or B, going to keep it if you already paid for it? Um, if you're like me and you just buy games on site. And the answer has varied quite a bit. So we had like people like Mark, who said one play is usually enough to decide if I'm going to keep it or trade it. Uh, Xavier said three is his average. Guillerme mentioned it depends on the game. A simple one can be after one or two plays. The more complex ones, upwards of five or ten plays. Um, Michael says depends on the initial reaction. Often it's only one, sometimes two or three. And... Some people, a lot of people actually mentioned as many as needed, which I think is fair. That's kind of my approach generally. Stuart said at least three, a few rare exceptions of only one. <laughs> he called out a specific game, Gyrating Hamster, that he uh, he uh, got rid of after one. So I think it's it really depends on a lot of people. It's somewhere between one and three for most people, but it's it's really like to me, it depends on how much you need to get out of the game. You know, like. Some games, like Terra Mystica is a prime example for me, where you've got over a dozen different factions, all these different ways you can play the game. One play would never be enough for a game like that. But, you know, if you get up to four or five plays and you're still like, I don't know, I feel like at that point you could probably <laughs> call it, right? Yeah, I think that's definitely the situation. It depends on the game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and keep in mind, guys, too, like, we're talking in general. Like, for games we actually actively review or write things for or do videos or talk about here on the podcast if we feel like we need to play the game half a dozen times we will because we want to make sure we get it right we don't want to just come on and be like this game sucks <laughs> and we played it like three quarters of a time and went home and went to sleep but it, it really depends a lot on the game sure. and how it's designed and how it's laid out and how easy it is to learn a lot of the times i'll play a game and like i really don't feel like i have the rules down because the rule book maybe has some issues which may be part of the review, but I still want to get the game right. So it, for people who do podcasts or videos, it 
it's very different from people who are just deciding what to buy. But at the same time, you know, kind of the same mindset of, I want to make sure I get it, but I don't want to overplay it if it's not very good. So uh, I think we're in the same boat there. All right, Anthony. So that's our question of the week. Let's get on to some games that we have not played yet, but hope to play in the future many, many times. What's your uh, acquisition disorder this week? All right. You're going to love it. Uh Uh-oh. You're going to love it because Uh it's more polyominoes. No. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this for like five, six months now since they said there was a third game in the puzzle trilogy from Uwe Rosenberg. Jeez. Yeah. Like when they're. It's a trilogy now. It's a trilogy. So Cottage Garden came out two years ago Mm -hmm. at Essen and then Indian Summer came out last year. And I remember when Indian Summer came out, I was like, oh, another polyomino game. That's weird. He's done like four of these now, right? And then they said right afterwards, oh, this is a trilogy. There's three of them. And I, <laughs> most people are like, ugh, I'm like, really? And I just kind of got giddy about it. And I think we even talked about it a little bit. Yes. Um, so this is the third one. It's called Spring Meadow. And they say in terms of complexity, it sits in between these two. Cottage Garden is fairly simple. Indian Summer is a little bit more complex. Uh, this one's in the middle. It is far more interactive than those other two, which are kind of, they both have solo modes and they're fairly, this one does as well, but I think those two really play well solo because they're pretty much multiplayer solitaire, as much as I hate that phrase. And in this one, you are putting down meadow tiles, climbing up a mountain, trying to receive extra tiles, and then creating and expanding on groups of holes. Game comes with 172 tiles, 49 unique shapes, which is a lot more than the other two games. Um, so there's a lot more variability there and the way the game works, it's kind of a race. So you can kind of rush early and try to complete your, uh, you know, your tableau quickly because the person who completes two tableaus ends the game, or you can kind of build up and try to do that later in the game the second time around. So I, I mean, I don't know anything about it other than what they put out in terms of press release and photos. It's polyominoes. It's pattern building. It's little cute animals on cute, you know, grass tiles from Uwe Rosenberg. So I'm in. If all that sounds like eye rolling to you, then you're probably out. But um, (laughs) this is like my ultimate uh, acquisition disorders. And it's the last one. So I have to take advantage of it. It might even hit my acquisition disorders again before it comes out because uh, he's not doing any more of these. Probably. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like, and the thing about this one, too, is I think they said it comes out this summer and not at Essen. So we might be seeing this by Gen Con, which would be kind of cool. That so would be cool. we can actually pick it up yeah. instead of waiting until next year. So that is Uwe Rosenberg's Spring Meadow, number three in the puzzle trilogy. It makes me wonder if this should not have just been maybe like a 504 kind of game or even like a legacy game where you could just have those polyominoes and just play different games with it just because... It's the same mechanic over and over, just tweaked slightly. Or maybe one day, I know he, I know Uwe Rosenberg is just not known for this, or at least the publishers. Maybe a big box version, like the trilogy in one box, that would be great. Just something along the I can totally lines. see that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think he, I feel like he's iterating constantly. So I don't know, like this was all like thought out in advance and they cut it up or anything. Sure. But packaging all three together in one big box with amazing components would be. I mean, I'd pick it up again, and I'd regret it because I'd probably <laughs> already have all three. But um, I would totally pick it up again. But 
Yeah, I don't know. There's something about these games. It's just they're relaxing. They're like the themes are you're planting a garden. Sure. You're walking through the woods. You're climbing a mountain. It's just it's very low key, you know, relaxing kind of stuff. Well, maybe one day he'll get around and do a kind of, you know, Grandmaster Azul version that costs three hundred dollars and has like real domino pieces as as these polyominoes. So who knows? That might happen someday because that's the way board games going. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still uh, flabbergasted by that. But if he did it, I would probably consider it. So <laughs> He's got I, you, I man. Mock. I can't mock. I can't mock. He's got you <laughs> boxed in by all those polyominoes. He does. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, talking about, I guess, not necessarily a trilogy, but it certainly could be eventually, Vast, The Mysterious Manor. This is another Vast game by Leader Games. And it's the asymmetrical adventure game. We talked about Vast the Crystal Caverns a while back. I did a review of this game. It's a really interesting game if you haven't played Vast previously. It's asymmetrical as in you get a particular character. So you could be a thief. You could be a dragon. You could even be the cavern, which is amazing. And each of the characters play very differently. And each of the characters have a different win condition, which typically is based upon take out a other particular character slash player in the game and only that character slash player. So your game is going to be very different. It plays very different. The end goal is very different. So now we have Vast the Mysterious Manor, which is currently on Kickstarter, and the campaign will end on Tuesday, June 26th. So once again, same great artwork, which is fantastic. But now instead of a cavern, you could actually play as the manor. So you're going to have different characters that are playable in this game. And it's going to be slightly different as far as the goals that these characters need to play in order to win. But you're going to have these different characters that are, once again, have their own play style that's going to be unique and their own end goal victory condition that once again is also unique, but it has the vast majority of the similar type of play mechanics and similar types of character roles that are going to be in this game. So instead of the cavern, you're going to have this haunted manor that's going to come into play. You are going to have, once again, instead of just a knight, you're going to have the paladin that's going to come into play. And there's a little bit kind of like symmetry there. And instead of the goblins, you're going to have the skeletons that once again have to do similar things that the goblins have to do, which is basically take out the knight or in this case, the paladin. Obviously, you're going to have the spider, which is kind of like is very similar to the dragon. And in this case, the manor is in play, as I said earlier, instead of the cavern, there's the enchanter, which is about kind of beguiling the other players. And enough similar elements that you can kind of sit down and tackle this game because the previous game was, was a bit to bite off at the start because you do have to teach each of the individual characters. So if you have played the previous game, you will know some of these mechanics. You will understand the gameplay here. Once again, great artwork. And in this case, great miniatures. So miniatures come into play here. So if you haven't played or you don't own Vest to Crystal Caverns, and you like the idea of this asymmetrical gameplay with these different goals, but you didn't really like the standees so much, 
Well, now you actually have miniatures that are available in this game. There's also the opportunity by backing this campaign to pick up the creepy corridors that's going to be free for backers as well. So that is Vast the Mysterious Manor. It's funny because before the episode, we were talking about other games that had like, they were decent and then they released yes. with like a second edition or an upgraded version. Yes. They're like, now the game is great. And that's what I feel like this might be. Like Vast is a very good game, but yes. it's incredibly dense and hard to learn. And you've got the standees and then they upgraded it with the miniatures, but you had to back the second Kickstarter. I feel like this is their way of being like a soft reboot 2.0 where like we fixed the rules. It's easier mm-hmm. to learn. It comes with the miniatures. Yeah. Ha uh-huh. And uh, that makes me pretty interested in it. Yeah, it's definitely something that, as you said, they were, the system is slightly refined. The miniatures are in the base game. And since the first game was already out there, kind of in the ether, so, so to speak, this one should probably hit the table a lot more without the kind of like steep learning curve. All right, Anthony, that's everything for Acquisition Disorders. Now let's see what's hitting the table with BGA. So what games have you got to the table? All right, so I'm going to talk about Dragon Castle. This is a new release from Horrible Games originally, and the U.S. release is from Simon. So it's the same um, group that published Potion Explosion and then again brought it over to the U.S. Uh, this particular game, if you look at it, just looks like a uh, Mahjong game. So if you ever played Mahjong, it has hundreds of tiles, and they have multiple different suits on them, and you are trying to make these pairs and pull apart this giant tableau that's been built before the game. Dragon Castle has a lot of similarities, but it also brings in a lot of the strategy elements of modern games that we know and love. So at the beginning of the game, you're going to set up the Dragon Castle. You're going to use all the tiles in the game. There's like 150 plus of them. And there are uh, six different suits, each of which has multiple different faces. The, The three basic faction suits each have six on them, so they each have one through six. Then there are the um, the weather suits, which you'd have four, um, one for each season, and then the final one, the dragon suit, which I believe also has four. And so there's lots and lots of tiles out there. You put them all up, they're all face up, but some of them are stacked on top of each other. Then you guys take turns pulling the tiles off of the dragon castle, putting on your personal tableau. You're going to take one of three actions. Either you're going to take two tiles that are available, or you're going to take one tile and a shrine or you're going to take one tile and discard it and take one point, which is really just kind of the, I don't have anything to do, but I don't want someone to have this tile action. The goal is to build out your own dragon castle on your personal board. So what you're doing is you're taking these tiles, you're positioning them, and you're trying to make connections of the same suit. They don't have to be the same number, this exact same face, but they have to be the same suit. So let's say you pick the sword suit, which is red, and you have seven of them on your personal board. Um, Once you finally connect them all, anytime there are more than three orthogonally adjacent to each other, you're going to score them. So you're going to very carefully place them so they're not orthogonally adjacent. But once they are orthogonally adjacent, so you place that one in the middle, for example, that connects all these different tiles, you're going to say, okay, hold on a second, let me score. Um, You flip them all face down. You look at your personal scorecard. You see how many points you get. And then you take your points and you place a shrine on top of that. You get a shrine, one shrine always, um, for the faction suits, which is red, um, green, and yellow. And then if you have the weather suits, you get two shrines. If you get the dragon suit, you get two shrines and an extra point because they're more rare. And you go through and you do this and you do this and you do this. And then eventually when 
there are no more tiles stacked on top of each other. So once you get down to a layer of just one tile on the board across the map, then a new action opens up, which just lets you take these special icons, which are just worth two points each, um, as your turn. Once those run out, then the game end is triggered, and you have one more round for everybody. And then you will end the game and see who wins. At the end of the game, you're going to score extra points for those little extra tiles you got at the end. Plus, for every shrine you placed, you're going to get points based on how high it is. So if it's on a level one, it's one, two, it's two, three, it's three. And then there are sometimes end game conditions. So the reason this game is so interesting and the reason I really enjoy it is that there are two decks of cards. One is a deck of animal spirits. One is a deck of dragons. The animal spirits give you an extra action you can take every turn. Um, things like get rid of an extra tile or um, makes different combinations on your personal board. Like different ways to break the rules. And there's like 10 of them. And you're only going to have one per game. And it breaks the rules pretty solidly. So you have a lot of variety there. The other option is the dragon. Uh, the dragon is end game scoring. So it's just going to change how the end of the game scoring works. Again, there's like 10 of them and there's only one per game. So the game itself plays in less than an hour. It's very strategic. There's a lot to think about and work through. If you've ever played Mahjong, it's kind of similar in a lot of ways, um, but it is its own game uh, for sure. And I really, really enjoyed it. Everybody I've played it with so far has really enjoyed it. It's relatively easy to teach. There's a couple little quirks in there in terms of like how you take tiles off the board and the rules for placing them. People who haven't played Mahjong before, you have to kind of figure out how this all works together and make sure all the tiles work and the suits work. It is colorblind friendly, which is very nice. Each of the suits is a specific icon and then it's a number of those icons. So even though it is color based, the actual patterns are all different, which is very nice. And overall, it's very beautiful with these pretty cool like Bakelite style tiles, similar to what you see in like Azul or the Kickstarter extras for Rising Sun. Um, high quality stuff, reasonable price point for what you get in the box, lots of replayability. I expect to see, see this one out a lot, and it's uh, a nice surprise. I like, I like abstracts, but this one adds enough extra stuff to it to be really interesting. So um, I give Dragon Castle a buy for sure. If you like abstracts, if you like um, just stuff that looks really nice and it's accessible and you can play with family, Dragon Castle is worth picking up. Great. I mean, first off, I love the artwork here. The... The different animal card spirits, they're beautiful. Really beautiful artwork. Oh my god, yeah. Everything in this game is very pretty. Like The tiles themselves are just Mahjong icons that mm -hmm. you might recognize from other things. Yes. But the background of the boards, and there are four different boards, plus the personal boards, plus the cards. Everything is very, very pretty. Even the box artwork like it has a nice insert as well which is, you know, a nice change of pace from, you know, these games with empty boxes. Yeah, it's just all around a very nice production. I own Mahjong. Do I buy this or do I already have enough of the base game that I don't need this? I'd say you buy this. Uh, it's It comes with enough extra stuff. It comes with exactly as many tiles as you need. Again, for whatever player count you have and whatever, you know, layout you have, you're going to use every single tile in the game has all those extra cards, which I think it recommends you don't use them at first, but I've used them with new players every single time because they really make the game. Sure. Um, and then your own personal boards are an important part of it. Plus the shrines, which are an important scoring element, but also a strategic element. You have to think about like how many tiles you're going to build into you know a scoring unit um, when you do that. Uh, 
it is very much like taking an old mechanic and turning it into a new modern board game, which is very impressive. So if someone's already played Mahjong, does that kind of lend itself to this game? Like they would be able to pick it up a lot quicker or is it just very, very different and they would have to kind of be taught the game? I don't know. It's a funny thing. It's kind of like if you've ever played like a, a second edition of a game mm-hmm. where you're like, I know the rules. I'll figure it out as I go. And you're like, no, you really need to read the whole rule book again to see where the differences are. Sure. Um, it's kind of like that because the couple people who I've played with who do know Mahjong, they got a little confused in certain points because it is, it's the same idea. Okay. It's the same layout. It's the same suits. But what you're doing with those and how you're building out your own personal tableau is different and how you're scoring points is different. So um, it's good to kind of start from scratch when you're teaching people. Okay. All right. Well, talking about a game that takes a little time to set up and break down is a game that came out, I think, not too long ago, maybe about two years back and recently had a upgraded kind of Kickstarter. This is Argent the Consortium. Now, this is kind of a really interesting worker placement game that is kind of like if Harry Potter existed, but at a university level. So it's a magical university and the chancellor is stepping down. And one of the characters in this game, there's professors, there's student leaders, all these different magical creatures are kind of vying for the chancellor's position. Now at the start, you're going to kind of just gawk at this beautiful artwork that level 99 has put out here. It's a very manga styled artwork. Uh, It's throughout the entire game, really extremely well done, a very different look to a worker placement game, different than I've ever seen actually before. And I was really appreciative of that because it was, I was able to bring new gamers to the table who don't play the traditional kind of Euro games with the same sad farmer kind of trying to, toil at his field so i was really interested about that right off at the start but this game really offers something different as far as when you're going to sit down to play a worker placement game typically it's about taking one resource and exchanging for the other and you may have a specific player power but you're only going to have that one player power and nothing beyond that this game really kind of unlocks and opens worker placement to kind of a new level Now, you know, with Agricola, you have those kind of like special personalities and jobs and techniques that you're able to employ here. But with this kind of magical realm, you're going to have a whole bunch of different things that are going to come into play. So at the start of the game, you are going to have a special character, beautiful big player boards. It's going to give you some information about that player. And you are also going to be given a separate player card that's going to have a special ability that you and you alone are going to get. Typically, it's about moving mages, taking out mages, because they're going to kind of block up certain spots on the game board that you're going to need to take. And depending on the player count, those spots are going to be pretty limited. Once again, great artwork. Those player boards are going to have space for your students that are going to help you. Those are going to be your worker placement elements. But basically, the game comes down to securing enough votes for two of these open people who are going to be voting and then the 10 others that are going to be closed that you won't know unless you place a mark on that card and then secretly look and see what the special condition is that that person will vote for you. And typically, it's most of something. So most marks in the game, 
most man in the game, most gold in the game. It's going to typically be the most of something in the game. Now, the game comes with 18 different possible voters, and 12 will be in play. And as I said earlier, two are face up, and then the 10 are face down. But most of the game is trying to reveal for yourself what that possible win condition will be. And the person who gets the most votes by meeting those conditions will win the game. Now, the rest of the game has a lot of different elements to it as far as how the gameplay commences. So you are obviously going to have an opportunity to take your student workers and send them out on the board. And this game has a modular setup and it has some recommended setup based upon numbers of players. But the tiles themselves have an A side and they have a B side and both sides are based upon a certain place in the school and typically kind of reflect what that is. So if you go to the student store, then basically it's going to be about purchasing things at the vault. If you're going to go to student council, it's about picking up supporters in the game. So it's very thematic as far as that's concerned. So you will be able to take these different actions on the board. And once again, great artwork here. The problem that I run into with this game a little bit and throughout the game is the graphic design gets in the way a bit. Because throughout the game, there is a lot of iconography in this game that is kind of a bear to teach because there's it's just everywhere. And then surprisingly enough, there's text that accompanies the iconography, which seems a little odd. And then you also have a player guide, which is a very large sheet of paper, which once again is another kind of redundant kind of way to kind of help you with the game. I appreciate it. But it kind of takes away from the gameplay because the artwork is really, really attractive and thematic for the game. But once you're playing the game, you have a number of different options. So play on these boards. We're going to give you a number of different things. It's going to let you get mana. It's going to let you get money. It's going to let you get marks to be able to see votes. It's going to be able to let you research so that you'll be able to pick up spell cards. And spell cards are awesome because it lets you cast spells in the game. So you'll pick a spell card. You'll place it as part of your tableau. But now you also need to be able to learn that spell. So there's these book tokens and then mastery spells. There's these scroll tokens. And by placing these tokens on the different spells, you kind of upgrade your spells and make them available for play later. And then just like all good magic spells, you have to tap them once they're used. But they're going to give you a special ability. And typically, they're going to cost a certain level of mana, which is really great about this game because as these really nice plastic pieces that are the mana in the game that you will expend in order to use your special abilities. Beyond that, there are also vault cards in this game, which are special magical items that you will either draft and take into your tableau, or you can actually purchase them. Some of them are consumable. Some of them will stay with you throughout the game. It's kind of fun to pick up these different magical items. And as I mentioned earlier, there's also supporter cards. These are these magical students and I guess faculty that will be able to give you special abilities throughout the game. Once again, once you use them, typically these things are consumable. And every once in a while, these vault items, these magical spells, and these supporters will have a fast action, which will happen before you actually take your action. And sometimes they'll stay around throughout the game. Now, placing your workers out, utilizing these spells, utilizing these vault cards, utilizing these supporters, as I said at the beginning, are all there to be able to help you get the most votes. So basically everything that you're doing in the game for Argent is all about collecting the most of something. So the supporters could be one of the victory conditions for one of the voters, a certain type of 
supporter or vault or spell could be one of the victory conditions. So think Harry Potter with the different houses. All these things have different colors. And finally, when you're placing the workers, it's not just about utilizing and activating a certain area because basically the game comes down to set up and then sending out your workers, utilizing your spells, all these different actions that you can take and then recovering them and getting their abilities. But the students themselves, based upon the color of that student supporter, is going to give you a special ability typically. So your red mages will wound a student, will send them to the infirmary. Your green students will be protected versus hits. Your blue students will be protected versus spells. Your purple students will go out first as a fast action. And your, and your gray students will be able to kind of jump on the board as a result of a spell that's been utilized in the game. There's also these off-white mages, but they really don't do much of anything in the game. But if you want to kind of hinder yourself a little bit, you can do that. And you draft those at the beginning of the game. So you basically start with five. You can pick additional guys up in the game. This game is a major table hog, but it's a table hog in probably the best way possible because there's so many different options and the game is so incredibly variable because as I said earlier, you can switch the rooms, you have different explorers, you have different spells, you have different vault cards that come into play. And basically a round comes to the end once people pick up these bell tower cards. So you can kind of speed through a round or you can let the round go on and on and on. But you're basically playing your workers, you're playing the cards, you're knocking other people out, you're sneaking some secret information to see what those voters are voting based upon and whoever has the most votes will win. So for Argent, the Consortium, and I know it has multiple expansions, this game is a very specialized play for a couple of reasons. First, the graphic design and the artwork kind of lend themselves to a particular type of gamer. This game does take a bit to learn in comparison to how easy it is actually to play, but because of the variability in the game and all the different things you can do with the game, you can bring this game to the table again and again and again. If this game looks great for you, you're gonna love it. If it's too much iconography, if it's too much table presence, if the graphics design is getting too much in the way, then maybe just play and see if this worked for you. All right, so that's everything for At The Table. Now to on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are gonna take a look at the BGA's big summer preview. Now, typically Anthony does a great job of taking us through the hotness list on BGG, but we wanted to give you a heads up on what's gonna be popping up all summer at the different conventions so you can keep your eyes open, take a look at Kickstarter, pre-order these great games, and you know, what's gonna be coming up. So Anthony, why don't you take us through the BGA's big summer preview? All right, let's do it. So the first game on this list is the next release from Next Move Games. This is the Plan B spinoff that Azul started. Uh, it's an Emerson Matsuchi abstract game called Reef, and it looks very interesting. I mean, any follow-up to Azul is one worth checking out. It comes out at Origins, and I will certainly be tracking it down, hopefully getting a play of it. So that is first up on the list, just announced very recently. The next one up, also from Plan B Games, also from Emerson Matsuchi, is Century Eastern Wonders. This is the second release in the Century Trilogy. Um, lots of trilogies in this episode. And this one is, again, another kind of light to medium um, gateway style of game. This time we're talking about grid movement and modular board. More of a pick up and deliver than uh, 
you know, Century Spice Road was, but kind of the same weight. It's not super heavy. It's more accessible to everybody. And uh, very interested to see how this one plays out as well and to see if they do another Golem edition. So we'll see if they do that as well this time. That is the first two, and those are both going to be uh, available or previewing at Origins in the next couple weeks. Next up is Kick-Ass, which, Chris, I know you talked about a little while back, right? Uh, so that's Kick-Ass, and that's just going to be like a midsummer drop from Simon. Um, they also have Way of the Panda. It's kind of a random midsummer drop. And Council of Four. It seems to be the kind of new trend of taking Euro games and just throwing a ton of plastic at it. I don't know what's going to happen there. I'm kind of torn, especially like Council of Four. I have the Euro version with the with the wood, and now they're doing plastic. Um, not sure if I want that to succeed or fail, but we'll see. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, next on the list is Rise of Queensdale. This is the legacy game from Inca and Marcus Brand. It is coming from uh, Robinsberger Games this summer. I think at Gen Con, actually, it's going to be releasing. Very, very excited for this one. We've got, like, changeable dice faces, more stuff you get to keep from game to game. A lot more than some of the other uh, legacy games that we've seen of late. So very excited for that one. Um, next up is Carthago. This is the new release coming from um, Capstone Games. And they release a new game, uh, try to release a new game at every convention, it seems. Uh, and this particular one is a, a game from last year. And then they're releasing it under their own brand name here um, coming into to Origins. And it is a fairly quick-ish game, hour, hour and a half, re-release of Porto Cathago. Anything ancient, card game related, I'm very interested in. It has a ton of mechanics listed against it, so we'll see kind of how it plays out. But it's, it seems to be more of a mid-weight game, for, uh, at least for the, the Capstone crew, crew um, and what they usually release. Next up on the list is Welcome to... Dot, dot, dot. Uh, this is the big Roll and Write release. I know that sounds kind of silly, but it is the, I've heard from multiple people, this is one of the best roll and write games they've seen. And so while I like roll and write games, I'm not psyched by them, but this one I'm kind of psyched by just because of the buzz around it. So I'm going to track that one down. The next one on the list is the Graphic Novel Adventures series. Van Ryder Games did a Kickstarter for these fairly recently. And these are very similar to like the old, like Choose Your Own Adventure, Dungeon Call Classics kind of take on role playing in a book so it's a solo adventure you can read a graphic novel and you get to choose which way to go and it's got a few game elements mixed into it they have a few of these that are launching all at the same time very interested to see how they play out and how well they work <laughs> you know it's just one of those things like choose your own adventure always sounded cool in theory is it cool not sure we'll find out very soon with uh, these releasing in order next release is The Mind. This one's coming from Pandasaurus Games in the US. It's already out in Germany. It was just nominated for a Spiel des Jahres. It looks a lot like the game. Apparently it's a little bit different, but it is once again a cooperative game. Cards numbered one to a hundred, hand management kind of approach. And you're trying to complete multiple levels of play based on the number of players you have. Apparently it's different enough, unique enough to be worthy of nominating for the award that the game was also nominated for. But it is not something any of us have had a chance to play yet. So um, can't say too much more about it yet. Hopefully have a chance to kind of track this one down over the summer. Uh, next one up is Forbidden Sky. If that sounds familiar, it's because it is the follow-up to Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert. Uh, it's coming out at Gen Con this year. That alone is enough to make everybody really psyched about it. Uh, we will see kind of what tweaks and additions and changes come into the 
sky-based version of what was previously in the desert and on the water. That one is coming up very soon. Queenbra is another game that people are talking about. This game, I don't know a whole lot about. Chris, you did a uh, acquisition disorder of this one a few weeks back. The only thing I really know about it is that it looks fantastic. Uh, it is a card drafting, dice rolling, set collection kind of game. But the artwork is really, really pretty. Kind of following this new trend of like Euro games actually having decent artwork and aesthetics to drag people in. So I'm a fan of that <laughs> all the way around. Um, next one up is Founders of Gloomhaven. This was a Kickstarter. It is shipping to backers this summer. It is a Euro take on the realm of Gloomhaven going back a few hundred years before the actual events of Gloomhaven. And it should be releasing hopefully in July or August. And then I don't know if it'll be at conventions or not, how many has shipping in, but um, I will personally have a copy sometime this summer and look forward to playing it and sharing it with you guys. Uh, the next one up is Root. This is the next asymmetric game from the uh, Leader Games folks. We talked about Vast and Mysterious Manor today. This is the game that is not developed by uh, Patrick Leader, but by um, one of the other designers in the team. Um, with little woodland creatures kind of running around and uh, trying to take control of the forest. So that one kickstarted last year, and they are expecting to see it sometime this year. So hopefully we get a chance to play that. Uh, Scythe, The Rise of Fenris, we've talked about a little bit. This is a campaign-style expansion for Scythe, and lots and lots of stuff being added to the game. I think they have eight uh, different modules that you can play through, and it should be releasing over the summer. So very excited to see how that one plays out as well taking kind of some of the lessons and ideas behind Charterstone and applying it to an existing game like Scythe should be pretty cool to see. Uh, another one that was backed on Kickstarter a while back and people have been talking about and has been showing at cons for a little while now is Brass Lancashire. This is the newest version of Brass, and there's going to be two versions of Brass releasing actually at the same time, um, but this particular one is the new, updated, modernized version of that. So uh, I'm personally very excited for it. Haven't had a chance to play Brass very much, the original, but taking that classic game that is very solid gameplay, updating it, modernizing it, adding some modern design elements to it, it should be very cool to look at and hopefully a lot smoother to play. Uh, Spy Club is one that I actually had a chance to preview last year after Gen Con, and it is a very cool deduction game in which you play detectives who are like 10, 11, 12 years old, trying to solve cases around their neighborhood to think the Hardy Boys and things like who stole the ice cream and which person took the dog's collar, like silly stuff like that, but with a serious take on it and that it is a cooperative game and you can fail. Um, has a lot of cool elements to it, but the really big thing that I'm excited about is the campaign mode. I didn't get to dive too deep into this in my review and preview that I did last fall um, when it was on Kickstarter because of the spoilers that were in there, but I'm really excited to see how they kind of finished it and polished it and released it. It's coming from Renegade Games, uh, I think, this summer. And the last one here is a game that just shipped to backers, and I wanted to put on the list because I've had a chance to play it, really, really enjoy it, hoping people get a chance to play it at cons this summer. It's now boarding. This is the newest game from Fowers Games, and it is a real-time-ish game about moving people between different locations with your personal airlines. It's a cooperative game. Uh, the real-time element is just one segment of a larger game, but there's a lot of thinking here, trying to 
min-max the different routes and build up your airplane to carry enough people and, and to manipulate and manage all the different things that are come at you. It's decently difficult, a lot of fun, has the same charm and very cool aesthetic as all of his other games. Very excited for this one to hit everybody as well. So that is all of the games on our current list for uh, this summer. I know we're going to see a lot more coming up for Gen Con very soon uh, that we don't even know that are releasing yet, but these are the ones we know are coming this summer. So be point. sure to keep up with us on BoardGamersAnonymous.com and unreleased episodes on our Patreon account at Patreon.com backslash BGA. All right, that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. <laughs>